Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. Joining me today on the program, I am thrilled to get this guest. I had to reach out several times because she's so busy lately <laughs> to, get, to finally get Coach Dana Skelton on the program uh, live with me right now from Texas and First Colony Swim Team. Dana, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Doing good. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about developing female athletes. I think it's something that every coach is consistently working on adapting their approach to both male, female athletes and, and the new triad that, that we're all approaching as coaches and, uh, and practitioners in sport. But I, I wanted to start with saying today, it's something that's very important to me. You know, I'm a dad of four girls, uh, three of whom ha have gone through the USA swimming process. Uh, one is a junior in high school, the other two are in college, and we have a, an eight-year-old. So uh, I'm always interested in learning more, and we're always interested as a staff in finding ways to motivate every athlete in our program. This past year, you were the recipient of the United States Olympic Committee's Developmental Coach of the Year. Congratulations. What an honor. Thank and you. A big part and parcel is that is a program that you started within First Colony, and I thought it would be a great segue today to, to lead with that topic and, and to discuss the program that you started on your club and how it's developed. Yeah, so past at uh, my location, I'm kind of in one of the main locations, First Colony area, and past me, I work with the 910s, and after me, there were no female coaches. So once the girls kind of get past me at 10 going on 11, it's all male coaches. And we're kind of have spread out across different locations. So I, I really don't get to see them until we're maybe combined for long course or swim meets um, where I got to kind of see the girls that I had before. And there are some male coaches and it, it's amazing, by the way, some of the male coaches that have these girls will come and ask me, hey, Dana, this is kind of happening and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Um, and I love that. I love that the male coaches were reaching out for a female perspective. Um, just like I think now that I'm a parent, same with three little girls, um, two in swimming. And it's interesting how the sport changes once you have that pers parent perspective. So I think when coaches can reach out for a parent perspective, you know, one coach that has kids and another doesn't, it it's huge what you can learn. So these male coaches were coming and asking questions and then I would go to meets or, um, go visit practices and just notice things that, wow, they, they, they could do so much if they just had kind of a strong female there helping guide them. And so with that, I started with another coach that's on the team, Markel. She's our dryland director. Amazing. And um, what we did, this was before COVID, is we would pick topics. The very first topic I did was confidence. And so we brought a bunch of girls together and I had a PowerPoint. They came in, they sat randomly. The one thing I made sure to do is I put a big girl at each table, and then all the younger girls were spread out. And then we just went through the presentation and gave them a chance throughout to engage and talk, big kids, little kids, anything like that. And the goal was just to get the girls understanding about certain topics, confidence, performance anxiety. The latest one I did was the importance of teammates. When COVID started, I did a gratitude. So like I said, I think just for me growing up in sport, I think if I had someone that was putting these topics in front of me and saying, hey, this is something that can help you. And this is something that's actually a thing. You feel these feelings, there's a word for that, you know? And then with each 
presentation, the, the main bulk of it is giving them ways to practice and get better at it. So hoping just to build relationships, let the girls know, even though they're not my group anymore, if they have questions, concerns, they can always come to me. So that was kind of the whole premise of the strong girls. I love the idea of connecting the older athletes to the younger athletes, not just in terms of creating, you know, more confidence for the female athletes on your team, but really feeding into the cultural dynamic of what it means to be part of the team. And I know that that's something that's really important to uh, First Colony and the culture that you have there. Talk about uh, some of the ways that you mentored those older athletes and the things that you were looking for from them in that program. We tried to handpick them and, and just encourage them to come. And I let them know ahead of time, hey, I'm gonna put you here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna spread out the girls. I wanna make sure that you're engaged. You know, it doesn't have to be a lot, but when, maybe when I throw out a question and everyone's kind of sitting there staring at each other, you be the first one to kind of spark the conversation. They did amazing. There was actually, after the first talk I did confidence, there was an older girl that was sitting at the table and we had a swim meet the next weekend. She said, Coach Dana, where is this little girl? I remember she told me she's doing her first 100 fly and she's so nervous. And that older swimmer, that senior swimmer came to me to seek out this nine-year-old at the swim meet to give her encouragement before she raced. So, so much of it is kind of what you're talking about, just trying to develop a culture where there's some strong girls above helping guide the younger girls coming up. I, I love that story. And that's kind of what I think most coaches are hoping happens within the culture of their team. But as a nine-year-old, Imagine that feeling when your older teammate, who you probably look up to, some of them look up to them as superstars. So talk about why that's an important feeling and an important part of the team chemistry. Yeah, I think so much, especially for girls, when you have, a, you know, a bigger girl, like you said, they look like superheroes sometimes, um, talking to you, number one, in the first place. I mean, she sought that girl out and she knew her name. So when they're just talking to you and you're like, oh my God, they know my name. It's amazing. And then to have someone that you look up to come and tell you that they believe in you is just amazing, especially for girls. Um, I mean, even now at my age, if I have someone that I look up to tell me, Dana, do this, you can do this, you can do this. I'm like, okay, I can do it. You know, it, it just takes that one person believing you and that one person kind of role modeling that they've been there, they've been through it, and you can get through this also. And that's, I mean, a piece I forgot with the uh, strong girls is kind of part of the goal was with all of the talks, Markel and I sharing our own stories and um, allowing some of that vulnerability that, hey, I've been here too, and I got through it, and, I, and you can do it too. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I think what you're doing is you're building confidence at a young age, and that's something that can continue to be developed over time. And they're watching it happen to their teammates as well. So what a, what a unique idea. And what prompted that thought process to say, you know, here we are, we're in a pandemic. I have a little bit of time now that I can utilize to make our team better. What was the genesis of the program? Um, well, I started it before COVID. Um, it started before, uh, maybe like the October before. And then thinking of once COVID hit, that actually became an opportunity. So that's when my first talk during COVID was the importance of gratitude and the power of gratitude. That's what it was called, the power of gratitude. Um, just knowing what was going on and the emotions myself that I was going through 
seeing the emotions that my girls, my own girls were going through, this can be huge, you know, and, and I shared it with uh, some little coaches group. We got together and I shared, I did the talk and some other coaches across the country. I said, Hey, will you get on and do this talk for my girls? And, and it was awesome. A anything that I could spread during COVID, especially gratitude. Um, I know I heard on one of your other talks, someone was talking about just being grateful that they're actually in the water. You know, they don't have a certain meat, they don't have this, but we should be grateful we're in, we're in the water because there are some people that aren't even in the water yet. I, I really think that, you know, you kind of inspired a lot of different teams to start thinking about ways to engage their athletes. And I'm glad to hear that it did have the, the idea of it happened before COVID even hit. Mm -hmm. And so you can even look at it with a sense of gratitude that, you know, this created a, an opportunity for you to kind of spread this message to a wider audience. Um, yeah. I, I know that that's something that, that you're doing tomorrow. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you have going on tomorrow? Yes. Um, so Ashley with Streamline Teams is kind of starting this new webpage and it's pretty cool. Um, especially if you love swimming, I got really into it because of her passion. Ashley's passion is just amazing and just wanting to help people. So tomorrow um, I'm doing a talk with Alexis, Jamie and Adriana, and it's all about women in coaching, talking about just some myths and trying to get the conversation going about getting some women in some leadership roles. Um, part of it for me, my role, I think, in the conversation is I am a 910 coach and I love it. That that is my role. I will never be a senior coach. I will never be taking kids to Olympic trials. And I am okay with that. Um, and once I really embraced that this is my role, uh, it really changed my coaching. So, and I think for some women, whatever your goal is in coaching, if you want to become a senior coach, if you love the nine tens, whatever it is, take it on. And, and even in this role, I can still be a leader, even as a nine ten coach. So we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff like that. One of the things that if you look across the scope of USA Swimming, in my opinion, over the last two decades, we've had so many great age group coaches. And so many of those great age group coaches are women. We're starting to see more really successful, highly passionate, highly driven female coaches at both the college and the senior level. Uh, what do you think has kind of taken uh, taken so long for some of these women to make these breakthroughs? Was it a cultural thing? Uh, did it take time for the coaching community to kind of open their arms to this? What are some of the reasons behind it? Um, I think the biggest thing is exactly kind of what I said with that girls talk. There's not many role models out there. You know, like there's not very many female head coaches. It's getting way better. Um, but I mean, me as a young coach, who could I look up to? You know, what goals do I have? And who could I look up to to start to achieve those goals? But I think now, even like with this uh, talk tomorrow, is women are starting to talk about it. And women are starting to share that, hey, you can do this. And hey, I'm juggling a family at the same time, right? And kids and um, this full-time job but it's possible. It's hard. It's challenging, but it is possible. So I think just people putting out there, sharing their stories and letting other women know that you can do it. It's been so great to see and, and you see the success and, you know, First Colony especially was a huge part of that when Allison Beebe and Simone were having tremendous success. 
Talk about how that really infused your program with energy and, and how that kind of really in the last 10 years, that started a lot of uh, a, a lot more power and engagement behind women coaches. Yeah. Um, and all of it is, I mean, Allison, she would never say that, um, but she was amazing. She is, to me, she's one of my, I mean, one of my mentors and somebody that just does an amazing job of seeing the big picture in swimming. And even with Simone, seeing the big picture, you know, not getting caught up in the moment, like, okay, whoa, she's really fast right now. You know, she, she saw the long-term uh, progression that was needed she didn't know exactly what to do and she asked for help. And I think she instilled that in a lot of coaches, especially me. And now I'm, I'm in a role where I get to work with all of the younger developmental coaches on the team. So if I can do kind of what she did, just get the coaches to see the, long, the long-term progression, see the big picture, um, learn to grow to be lifelong learners. That's one of her biggest things that, that I got. And that I think is what's helping the most is just a, a love of learning. That's the thing that I think drives so much success at the age group level, right? You mentioned you understand that you have a skill set that really is locked in at that 10 and under, maybe 11, 12 age group. And you're so passionate about it that there's no need for you to try to be this senior coach. Talk about the process of getting to that point and understanding how you fit into that age group. Yeah, I was super lucky. I was able to coach with, I've been with First Colony on around 15 years, and I've been able to coach at every level, every group on the team at some point. I was even Allison's assistant for a little while. And it was interesting when I was kind of, you know, moving around, finding different things. I enjoyed them all. It was interesting, right? Each thing has its own special, like, you know, something that makes it fun. Um, and then one year, Allison was like, Dana, I'm going to put you right here with these nine tens. And I remember once I got started, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've actually felt like scared and nervous. And I think it was because, okay, this is it. You know, like it was just that beginning of, wow, this is it. This is, this is exciting and I'm nervous and it's going to be a challenge, but I want to get better at it. And it was interesting. That, that's what it was for me. I was the most scared and the most nervous about that group. And it's great to see now probably some of those first groups that you coached and what they're doing and, and followed their journey and um, talk, talk about what that means to you and what, what that means in terms of, you know, you mentioned Allison Beebe, Lessons for Life. Talk about, talk about how you engage with those athletes now as alumni of your program. Yeah. And that's really like as a 910 coach, you don't get the uh, notoriety of a lot of things, right? You know, like, oh, I have so many Olympic trial qualifiers. I have so many top tens. I have, you don't get that. Um, and that's something when I realized that this was kind of my niche that I had to come to terms with in a way, you know, and, and I had to start finding other ways to feel fulfilled as a 910 coach. And it would be that. It would be going to a swim meet and there's someone now that's swimming at UT and she ran up and gave me this big hug and took my picture and put it all over her social media. I'm like, one of my favorite coaches ever. And, you know, um, so it's little things like that or just being able to notice, sit back and I'm fine not being in the limelight, um, but sitting back and watching some of our girls that are doing really well. And I can be like, oh my gosh, I played a part in that. You know, I don't need the glory. 
but it's pretty cool to just sit back for myself and think, wow, I helped her, you know, or I helped him get there. So yeah, I've had to find different ways, like I said, to, to feel fulfilled in my position. But again, once I did that, it, it was a total game changer for my coaching. When we think, Dana, about coaching female athletes, and you know, obviously there are a lot of male age group coaches and male senior coaches, and I, I would like to think that we're always trying to find ways to better connect to our female athletes. What are some things that male coaches should consider that maybe we don't think about often in the way that we approach our training, the way that we approach our relationships with these athletes? What are some of the things that male coaches should really consider um, in terms of developing their relationships with the athletes? Yeah. Um, it's interesting when I sat down knowing we were going to talk about this, I sat down for a little bit and I came up with like three pages of notes and, and this was in an hour, three pages in an hour of just thinking about female athletes. So I'm just going to like look off of here so I can make sure I can hit my key ones. <laughs> I think a big thing is you have to be proactive about it. I don't think you can sit back and assume that it's going to be as easy as it is for you know, the uh, male swimmers, or it's going to be, okay, I had this one female, we connected really well, so it should be the same for all of them. So I think you got to be proactive. Um, one of my favorite things is letting them know that they have worth regardless of the outcomes. That is huge. Once, even me as a female, once I understood I have worth regardless of what people think of me, regardless of how I do in the pool, um, anything like that, that really, um, helped me out. And so I know it can help the girls out, help them see what they can and can't control. That's a huge one, especially for girls. Like your mind is always working and always thinking. And I read an interesting book a couple of years ago that the guy actually named the little voice in his head, his roommate. And he said, don't let your roommate take over. You realize it's that, you know, it's somebody else thinking it. You don't have to believe that. And I think when girls understand what they can and can't control, that they're their emotions are important, um, but the emotions don't have to control them. So what they can and can't control makes a big difference. Uh, one of my favorites that I tell all parents and the girls is they have to have an identity outside of swimming. Um, they cannot just be swimmers. They cannot just be, I'm a backstroker. Um, because I think what happens is the girls get so caught up in that. And if they get injured uh, when swimming finally ends for them, they don't know what to do and they don't know how to react or if they have a really bad swim but i'm a swimmer and that's their only identity they feel like a failure and that's what i think is sometimes hard for men to understand is i had a bad swim so it's not like i'm somebody that failed no i am a failure and, and a lot of girls can take it that that big you know they can make it that big so I think having identities outside of swimming really helps keep the balance. And so I encourage them to have identities outside of swimming. And I talk to them as much as I can about things outside of swimming. Let's see, I think I had like two more good ones. Um, create girls that don't rely on you. Huge, Girl, uh, there are a lot of girls that are people pleasers. Like I said, a lot of girls that seek outside, all these people have to like me kind of a mentality. And so we really have to make sure that the girls don't rely on you. And then one I just talked about, a bad day doesn't make you a bad person. You know, a bad swim doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, under, again, understanding sometimes girls take it that far, you know, that it, it's not something they can just do and just slough off right away. So I guess the only other big one is that emotions are okay. I 
absolutely uh, cringe when I see a girl having some big emotion and a male coach gets mad at them or tells them to leave, get, get away, get out of my face. You know, um, I think as adults, parents, um, we have to help guide kids through these big emotions. And I know that's something I do personally with my own girls. That's a goal of mine. So emotions are not bad. They are not a bad thing. And girls should not be shamed in any way for having big emotions. We have to kind of sit back and help them work through and guide them through those emotions. I, I made so many notes while you were talking just now. Uh, <laughs> I could put together a really nice bulleted list here for our, our viewers. Um, just fantastic stuff in there. And I want to talk about a couple of them. But I think what I want to address, and I know that, that you know this, and, and I look forward to your response. It's also okay, I think, for us coaches not to have all the answers in the moment, right? So oh, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that and, and how do we, not just as male coaches, but all coaches, how do we start to have a strategy to know when we need to say something, when somebody needs a spa little space? I know it's different in every unique situation, but what are some things we can consider? Um, my number one thing, especially in my coaching, is reflection. I mean, I will say something and I will see how that person reacts to it, especially the girls. And I will be like, okay, wow, that was not the reaction I was expecting. That didn't go very well. How can I do, how can I say this differently next time? Um, how can I engage with her personally as an individual differently next time? So taking that time to reflect, I think is probably the, the thing that's helped me the most. So critical, right? And, and remembering your different athletes responses to you know, how you've engaged them, you know, maybe after a bad swim or they're having a really bad day. One thing as a dad of girls and, and as a coach um, that I've seen often in my career is somebody might be having a really bad day and I'll try to go, you know, in the dad toolbox and you use humor and then you get no response, right? <laughs> and, and you're so frustrated. You're like, I just want to make this situation better. I just want to fix it, right? We want to fix. And that's, that's generally a male thing. We want to be fixers. We want to be solvers. Um, so, so how do we slow ourselves down in those moments? Yeah, um, I think there's a lot in just like sometimes letting the girls sit in their emotions. Because um, like I said, sometimes this things will happen and they have no word for the emotion. I feel this, but I don't know what this is. I think sometimes when you let them sit in it, you can come back to it later and they can describe it a little bit differently. You know, like at first you might be talking to them, like you said, I do the same. I'll try and like make a joke, you know, I'll make fun of myself just to make them smile and I, and I get nothing. So, hey, why don't you go warm down and then, you know, come back and we can talk about it. Or, you know, I'll come back to her when she's sitting on the bench after warm down. And like I said, just, I think with some time, thinking where they can still not maybe come up with a word for the emotion, but they can come up with descriptions for the emotion. And once they get those descriptions, again, that's now that's on me to help guide them. Oh, okay. That sounds a lot like anger. Well, why are you angry? You know, and then you can start having a conversation with them. So sometimes I think just stepping away and noticing, okay, this isn't going like it should. Or again, maybe they need that time to warm down to let some of the high emotions drop down where they can actually then have a conversation about it. 
One of the things, Dana, that I was uh, really interested in asking you today for your perspective was this is a very challenging year for all student athletes. Here in New York State, it's extraordinarily challenging because they've had so much of the things that they look forward to their whole lives kind of taken away from them, right? And some of those things are a little bit more meaningful for females. That's not to say they're not meaningful for males, but generally speaking, I think when girls have their junior or senior prom canceled or postponed, when special events that happen at school aren't happening, when they can't go on in-person recruiting trips, when all of these things are taken away, they're really struggling to find things to look forward to. And though we're confident that the pandemic is finite and we're gonna be able to move on, it's a lot to ask a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old senior swimmer to manage and compartmentalize these things and continue to push every day for the goals that they've been shooting for. So what are some strategies maybe that you're using that your staff is using at First Colony that, that some of the teams here in the Northeast might be able to use to make those breakthroughs? Yeah, uh, I think some of it is exactly what we we're talking about. Let them know, number one, how they feel is valid. You know, I, I, like you said, a fixer, right? Like, well, you feel this, you feel this. You, oh, let me just constantly let me try and fix it, fix it. No, like let them feel that emotion. There is nothing wrong with that. And I think when you validate those emotions, you start to actually build a little bit more trust, you know, and the girls are gonna wanna share a little bit more because you're not telling them something is wrong with them for feeling this way. No, this, this is a very valid emotion. Um, and then I think you can start to spin it with some little things to be grateful for. You know, there was a, uh, a girl that I contact or, uh, met with, I ran into, I should say the other day, she's getting ready to graduate, started on the team with me when she was 10 and, uh, it was good reminiscing. You know, we were just sitting outside waiting for some cars to pull up and talking to her, like, how was your prom? How was homecoming? How was this? How was this? And it was interesting to hear her perspective on everything. And she's, yeah, we can't do this. And yeah, we can't do this. And she's going off to college next year and she's going to swim. Hey, how are things different for, for college right now? What are they doing for swimming, for classes? And it was interesting talking to her. I was able to kind of let her talk, you know, let her share. And she kind of like would give little emotions here and there. And and throughout the conversation, I was able to just pinpoint little things. Wow, that's super cool that you got to do that, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. And oh, wow, you don't get to have this, but wow, you got to have this instead. That's pretty cool. And by the end of the conversation, she was just kind of smiling. You know, it, it didn't fix anything, but I was just kind of there as a sounding board for her to just talk, you know, and just along the way say, but you still got some of this really cool stuff you know, so yeah, just sitting and listening. Attitude of gratitude, right? Yes, yep, yeah. and it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily call it that, because I think sometimes, you you know, I would be like, well, be grateful for this, and be grateful for this, it's going to be kind of a turn off to some people, so spinning it more of, I see it as gratitude, oh, but that's pretty cool, you got to do that, and she's like, oh, yeah, it kind of is, huh, so maybe not even necessarily calling it gratitude, because like I said, sometimes that makes people kind of feel I don't know, weird, but. No, you're absolutely right. And it's a great segue because I'm, I am as guilty of this as, as anyone in the past. 
and I've, I've taken steps to really try to think about it, but I think toxic positivity is a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it plays positivity out. Positivity too. Right. And I want to give you a chance to talk about these things because it plays out a lot. And I see it a lot in, in male coaches. Um, and that's going to really affect the way that our athletes uh, respect what we have to say and what our feelings are based on their emotions. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people think that you can just tell a girl, be more positive, And she's like, okay, <laughs> done. And it does not work that way at all. Um, I mean, even me, my brain is just constantly thinking and moving and jumping from one thing to the next. And and so it's very hard for me to just sw make a switch and boom, okay, I'm going to be positive. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so I think having patience and understanding that exactly what you're saying, not putting just so much emphasis on it and being really fake about it. You know, like girls respond really well to authenticity. It's very easy to tell if somebody is really supporting you or if they are just trying to support you. So when you try and play off this fake positivity, oh, come on, you can do it. Uh, they catch on to that, you know? So and it, it's ex almost exactly what I said with that senior girl, just little drops here and there. Hey, you didn't go this time, but man, your underwaters were amazing. And again, that, that's an authentic kind of a thing. It's not a fake thing. Those underwaters were amazing. You know, but it's not me telling her, hey, try harder, be more positive, and you should be able to do it. It just doesn't work that way. For sure. And I think sometimes what I'm struggling with uh, on teams that I've coached in the past, when you get into the dog days of winter and, you know, you're still a month or two out from your championship meet, you're working really hard. That's what it feels like to us in New York State. That's what COVID has felt like for eight or nine months now. Yeah, um, you know, and and so there's there are times where it's easy to push through and we're just starting to get a, a glimmer of meats. Um, but cynicism oftentimes reveals itself in, in our senior group, both with the boys and the girls. You see it a little bit more with the girls. And I, and I think it's probably because they're a little bit more emotionally intelligent than the boys for the most part. Um, but it, it can really be. Uh, viral on the team and it's a terrible pun this day and age but that cynicism can can rule the day have you have you ever seen that and and what are some strategies that you have to kind of break through those those barriers yeah definitely especially like you said especially sometimes with girls you know girls can take it to the extreme and like i said that the concept of like having a roommate up in your head that roommate sits up there and they can write this false narrative that the girls believe you know, and it's hard, like I said, they can't just switch off and be like, okay, let me be positive again. Um, it's interesting, the last talk I just did, the uh, Strong Girls talk was the importance of teammates. And I think that can play a vital role um, in kind of what you're talking about. So I talked about with the teammates, making sure you're thinking of other people. A lot of times I think if you get them thinking about somebody else, they stop thinking about themselves so much. You know, it, stop, it gets the spotlight off of you. Um, so being a teammate, I think, can be one of the easiest things. Hey, let's see what we can do to get the people around us working harder. Hey, encourage them. Maybe it's a after practice or a before practice, you get the, some of the girls to get together and, hey, what can we do today to make the group stronger, you know, um, and let them come up with it. Like I said, I think for girls, 
if you can give them some control, let them know that they have a voice, let them know that their voice matters, uh, that makes a big difference. So I think to me, like playing the whole teammate game can really, you can take it so many ways that can make a big difference. So, and then, like I said, if you spend some time kind of with the girls, getting to understand where they are with the whole COVID thing, with the whole not being able to go to school and not having meets and taking that time to kind of build that relationship with the girls makes a big difference. I think you're absolutely right. And and I have a lot of action items from this talk already that, that I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the female athlete defense mechanisms. And again, when I, when I talk about that today, I'm, I'm talking about it because it's our topic. All athletes do it, but we're talking about coaching female athletes today. I often find that an athlete could have a, what I perceive as a great swim. And I actually have to talk this girl into thinking that it's a, a wonderful swim. And those defense mechanisms come out. Uh, I'm awful. Like, I, I can't swim fly. I can't swim breast, you know? Well, it's not your best event. You just want a lifetime best. So, you know, help me understand that. What are some ways coaches can kind of mitigate those defense mechanisms, recognize why our athletes might be using them and, and make some breakthroughs there with our female athletes? Yeah, I think some of it comes down to identities. Again, if, if, I, if I only identify as a butterflyer, I am horrible at breaststroke. I'm horrible at backstroke. You know, I'm horrible at freestyle and I will never be good at any of those because I'm a butterflyer. Um, so again, making sure that they aren't labeling themselves, making sure you as the coach aren't labeling them is huge too. Like, what do you say throughout the practices and before a meet that you might be labeling them and putting them into a certain spot where again, if they fail at that, you know, I'm a butterflyer. Coach tells me how great I am at butterfly all the time. And everyone around me says I'm a great butterflyer. Well, I just had kind of an off swim. Again, girls don't view it as just an off swim. I personally, Dana, am a failure because I'm supposed to be a great butterflyer and that was not a good race. Um, so having, again, some identities that they can control. This I got from Allison. We did a talk at convention a couple of years ago about coaching female athletes. And I love this. Um, we both talked about making the girls have identities and her comment with having identities is create an identity based on things that they can control. So, and I think once you understand, is this because they're wrapped up in some kind of an identity? Is this because they are, again, where you might see it as they just kind of had an off swim, they're thinking I failed, you know, I personally, Dana, as a person failed, are they taking it to that level? Are they just spinning the wheels in their head and just over and over and over, overthinking it? Uh, that, that, I think those are some of the big things that would come from that. You know, like why they'd be doing that. For sure. And it's easy. I got the 910. So it's very easy for me to spin the wheel and, you know, they start thinking that way and I can shift their brains pretty quick. It's a whole lot harder with the seniors. It's, uh, you know, even throughout the uh, pandemic, uh, I've been working with our 10 and unders. Uh, in this unique situation and it's the easiest practice to coach every day right it, they are so excited it's yes. so fun now it might be the hardest from a mechanical teaching standpoint but from an emotional excitement standpoint like coach mike can we do relays coach mike can we race <laughs> you know and uh it's just so refreshing you you forget about that and and i'm certainly uh 
uh, I'm jealous of those coaches who get to have that all day. Um, but I, I think you're right. And I, and I think your point on building your identity outside of the sport is really important. Are there team activities that you do to help them be more aware about that? Um, it's a lot more of conversations that I have. So maybe not team activities, but in all those girl strong talks, I talked about even the importance of teammates. I made that comment. What do you know about your teammates, teammates outside of swimming? And I threw it out there and asked the question to the girls. It's a conversation I always have with parents. Make sure that they have an identity outside of swimming. Like when they finish swimming, you are still going to be mom to them. You're still going to be dad to them. But if you guys only connect and engage through swimming, what happens when their swimming is done? Um, so that's a big conversation I have, like I said, with the girls on the team, with the kids in my team, uh, with coaches. So if a male coach comes and asks me, and I think that's playing a part of it, I'll tell the, that coach that. Um, and then again, conversations I have with the parents, that's always a part of my parent meeting each year. I make that comment about letting them have things outside of swimming. That's so important. And, you know, their ability to kind of leave swimming at the pool also depends a lot on mom and dad asking the right questions when our athletes get back in the car, right? And it's easy for us to do that as parents in this house just because of our backgrounds. But I think for many parents, how was practice? What kind of sets did you do? What were your times? We really wanna to try to leave that, that alone. And who was at practice? Was it fun? You know, who's doing well? I think if we learn to kind of direct our questioning because we want to take an active role in what our kids are doing, I think it's important to have that perspective. So how are you coaching female parents? What are you doing to engage your female parents on the team? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Right now, my daughter is actually in my group. My 10-year-old uh, is in my group. And so one thing I do is I told her from the beginning of the season, like when we're in the car, you know, at home and on in the car, I'm mom. Once we get on the pool deck, I'm coach. And same, when we get home after practice, after a swim meet, I don't talk to her about her swimming in the car. You know, I tell her, if you want to talk about it, I am more than open to listening, but I do not engage that conversation once we leave the pool deck. Because um, I know once I get in the car, I'm mom again. And hey, that was really fun to watch you swim. I enjoyed watching you swim. That's about the extent of it. Um, after practice, when I pick up my uh, eight-year-old, the only thing I tell them before practice is make yourself better and make someone else better. And that's my only question. Did you make yourself better? Awesome. Did you make somebody else better? Awesome. You know, and I might be like, how did you make somebody else better? Because it's always interesting to hear what an eight-year-old says. Um, but that's all I say. And then same, once we get past that, I don't talk about swimming anymore. Again, if they want to ask me and talk to me, then I am more than willing to talk to them. Um, and I'll tell parents the same thing, especially parents of uh, female athletes. To me, being a sport parent is a journey and it's something you should enjoy. And I think if you are not enjoying it and you are feeling anxiety, you're feeling nervous, um, anything like that, to me, that's an indication to you as a parent, okay, I need to sit back. Why do I feel nervous in this situation? You know, it's hard, right? Like driving here and there and paying the bills and this and that. But besides that kind of stuff, being a sport parent should be a very enjoyable experience. And again, if you're not enjoying it and you feel really nervous, that's, I think, the time for the parents to sit back and reflect. And I will have conversations similar to that with the parents. That window of time to enjoy your child's participation in sports is so small. 
Yes. It's so small. And, and I'm not sure that enough parents realize that. They think, you know, when they get signed up for T-ball, they're looking at it as, you know, one day we're going to be in the major leagues. Not all, but some. <laughs> you know? and, and it's important to understand that, you know, you, you might have through the end of high school. Um, so, you know, I, I try to, to hammer that notion home and this, this should be a fun activity that we do together. One thing, Dana, that, that both young male and female athletes struggle with, and I think more and more generationally is, uh, with perfectionism and, and we see it play out in a lot of different ways. Um, again, today we're talking about developing female athletes and perfectionism is part of the process that you're going to encounter as a coach. So what are some things that you've noticed? What's your take on that? Um, it's interesting that you say that. I myself am a recovering perfectionist. I fall off the bandwagon a lot, but I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, so it's interesting for me personally, again, being vulnerable, I share that with the athletes. Because like you said, I, that comes up a lot, especially nowadays. It's, it's interesting the, um, the things I'm dealing with as a tenant or coach now are things that I never had to deal with as a tenant under coach, even a couple of years ago, the anxiety and everything like that is, is it's weird to be dealing with it as a tenant or coach. But again, I can usually sit down with the athletes and the parents and tell them, Hey, I'm the same way. I was a perfectionist. I still do it sometimes. And um, so I can kind of share with them and connect with them. And this is some things that I do. And these are some things that I try and, Sometimes I think it's when you're a perfectionist, right? You only see it one way. I see it this way. I want it this way. This is how it should be. And it's hard to see what else it could be. So I think sometimes with those, with those little ones, if you just open their eyes to, hey, it didn't go this way, but that's okay. Because look, this is an option and this is an option and this is an option. Just getting them to open their mind that there are so many other things. And a lot, even boys, if you're a perfectionist and something doesn't go right, oh, I'm a failure. I'm horrible. And that's a big thing about um, being a perfectionist. So getting them to see, no, you didn't fail. You're just a person that had a failure and made a mistake. And now we're going to learn and we're going to keep going. But again, I think it's like what, a lot of stuff with the girls. You have to call it what it is. And you have to let them know that this is actually a thing. And there are steps you can take to fix it. It doesn't have to be this way. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we struggle with when learning how to develop an athlete who is a perfectionist is we have to be so patient, right? And coaches, like we're not known for patience <laughs> with that type of... Especially in the middle of a practice, right? You're in the middle of a practice and you come on, we got to keep moving. Yeah. And, and when you see an athlete being really self-critical um, we're trying more and more to develop the, these pathways to reach them. Um, but what are, what's an example, of course, you're not going to use any names, but what, what, what's an example of a situation where maybe you, you really had to think about how you were going to approach an athlete who was being super self-critical? Yeah, I, I think as you were kind of talking, I think one of the biggest things to understand when you're working with a kid that's like that, you have to see things from their perspective. And I think when you step back, because I think, especially if you're not a perfectionist, um, I mean, my husband, I drive him crazy sometimes, but it's like, okay, let me explain this from my perspective and how I see this. 
And when you see it from their perspective, you're like, whoa, okay. Like number one, I didn't think it was that big, but to you, it really is that big. Um, so I had an athlete recently, a little boy, actually nine years old and different things were happening. Like in practice, when sets would get a little hard, he'd have some breathing stuff, um, swim meets. I was starting to notice a lot of negative self-talk at swim meets. And even after a race, like you talk, it was a great race and it wasn't for him. So what I actually do and I've loved is I have them get a journal and, and I have a lot of my kids get journals. And this became a pretty cool way for us to kind of start to build our own relationships, start to build trust, but as a way for me to um, give him little prompts and he could see why he was thinking that way. Sometimes at their age, they don't even know that they're thinking that way. Or again, they don't know well, I'm thinking this way, but what, there's actually another way I could be thinking? Like, they don't even know that's a thing. So, and that's actually, uh, we have a swim meet coming up and I know he's going to start thinking about these events. And so I'm going to give him some prompts today, actually, about um, thinking about the swim meet coming up, you know, and not thinking. So a lot of times people think so much in the present, or I mean, uh, in the future, think about the future and worry about the future. And that causes a lot of the issues. So, or sometimes with perfectionists, that's how it was for me. Things come really easily. You know, I, I didn't always have to study very hard. I was naturally athletic. So when something would be a little challenging, I didn't know how to deal with that. It was like, wait a second, I've always been good at this, you know? Um, so, and it was interesting because I read an article about that, why bright girls um, struggle. And it was because a lot of times girls think that these qualities are innate and they are unchangeable right? So I'm athletic, I'm smart, I'm pretty, I'm this, I'm this. And a lot of times it's words that we use to label them. And girls think it's just an innate thing. And again, if I'm so smart, and then I get a bad grade, well, that means I'm a failure. Uh, girls have a hard time. They don't see that a lot of these qualities can be things that you can change and things you can work on. So it was an interesting article uh, recently, but I think ties into this. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and I did want to get to the part of the interview today where I ask you about cultural norms and expectations, social media, and the effect that it's having on our female athletes and get your perspective on that. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge fan of social media. I, I'm on social media because I think it's, it's a good platform for networking, um, but I don't personally enjoy it. And I think it's very hard. If somebody said it recently that everything you see on social media is these people's like best, right? It's the best of them. They have their hair done. They have their makeup. Um, they have filters. They have all this stuff. That's what you see. And girls a lot of times think that that's how that person always is, you know, or actresses, actors where they have a nutritionist and they have a trainer and they have a nanny and they have all this stuff. And to me, I'm like, how is this person accomplishing all this? I'm like, you know, spinning my wheels over here. And that's what I think is hard with social media and girls is sometimes they, they see this perception and they think that that's just how that person is all the time. And I can't live up to that. So I'm a failure. Um, so it's, it's a weird dynamic, you know, especially for girls, especially with some comments on there that people can throw out comments that, uh, can be very hurtful and girls can very much take it personal, even if it has nothing to do with them, you know? So. 
I'm thinking particularly uh, of an instance where I know a very strong-willed uh, young female athlete who knows herself and knows that she's not all of these different cultural expectations and things. And I see her very vividly struggle uh, connecting with peers because of that. And, and this is an example from years and years ago. Um, and so watching her kind of learn to manage that and understand who she was on our team and what her role was, all of a sudden when it clicked, the greatest parts of this person came out and, and, and she became so successful with everything that she poured herself into, but she just had to become comfortable with self. And so I think one of the important things coaching female athletes is we want to get them to be comfortable with who they are. And what are some things that you think male coaches specifically should be keeping an eye on to make sure we're, we're pushing them in that direction, not pushing, but maybe guiding them to be confident with who they are. And I think it starts right back with, you know, you, you and Allison Beebe saying, you got to figure out what your identity is outside of the sport. Mm -hmm. And again, an identity that you can control, right? Like being the fastest girl in the group, I can't control that. Um, so that's really not an, a healthy identity to have. Um, oh, I forgot what your question was. I had an answer. I made it so long that you probably <laughs> got, got lost, but how do we as coaches kind of direct those female athletes to be comfortable with who they are and, and get them to a place where they have a better understanding of uh, who they want to be and what their goals are? Yeah. Um, so I think part of it, again, is not labeling them. Like once you start to put labels on them, and it's kind of goes back to that article, like if you label them, they're going to think that's what they are. And that if they're good at it, they're bad at it, um, they either failed or they succeeded. So not putting labels, rewarding effort and noticing effort. Uh, I think another thing that, again, I hate when coaches do, and, and it's a very personal experience I've only shared like a handful of times, but growing up, I was in first grade and I went to in-school suspension for talking too much. And I can tell you very clearly everything about that room because it was a big window of the front office. So anyone that came in out of that office saw me sitting there. So I went there for talking too much. And it took me another 30 years to realize, hey, I, I have a voice. You know, I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed for talking. And it took me 30 years to realize, no, I have a voice. And even now it takes me a lot of courage to step up and do stuff like this and, and share that voice. So if you've got a girl that is extremely social, a girl that is um, very vocal, I hate it when um, male coaches shame them for that and make them feel bad. Like, oh, you're talking again. Why are you always talking? You know, and swimming, especially as they get older and there's more and more expectations, right? Doubles and swim meets on the weekend and practice on the weekend. Girls in our sport don't have much time to be girls and hang out with friends. So this may, for male coaches to know, like this may be the only social outlet they have, which is why they say all the time, swimmers, your best friends are on your team, right? Because you hang out all the time. So this may very well be the only social interaction that they get with other girls. And if they are very social, very uh, extroverted, they need that. that. And that's a part of them, kind of what you're talking about, that should be embraced, should be rewarded, 
um, should be like highlighted. Wow, you're a, you're an extrovert. You're super social. Would you would you mind planning like a team social for us? You know, um, taking those qualities and highlighting it, making the girls shine for the things that maybe you don't enjoy or don't fit with what you like or how you are, but it's part of the girl and really highlighting that makes a big difference. Like my daughter, my 10 year old is a very much a social extrovert and I am not. So it's been very interesting during COVID, she is struggling because she can't see her friends. She can't go hang out. She was having a hard time when there was no school. Um, and me as more of an introvert, I was like, it's fine. Just sit at home, just watch, read a book, do this. And it was driving her crazy. So I had to start finding ways to let her be social and engage with other kids. Cause that was a significant, and in all honesty, one of my favorite qualities about her. So if I kept hampering and like taming that, I would hate that. Cause again, that's one of my favorite qualities about her. So every girl is gonna have something that makes her amazing. What is it? You have to figure this stuff out. Like some girls are amazing artists. Hey, we're doing like a, our shirt. Would you mind designing the logo? And finding what's amazing about them. And again, highlighting it, rewarding it, not shaming them for it. If it's something that you're not comfortable with. Boy, have you just made a huge difference in the approach that I will take to practice today. <laughs> Good. Uh, I I am guilty at times of saying like okay, listen, right now like we 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 really gotta you gotta listen we gotta focus, um, and I and I definitely I'm probably close to the point of shaming some for it you know in a sarcastic way but sometimes that's not productive either so <laughs> I really really appreciate that feedback because. I'm going to talk about that at our staff meeting, actually. So and I think that. it's got to be because you don't want the girls talking all the time, right? Like, right. but I think, again, giving them some control. How can we set boundaries? Like even with the nine tens, hey, I have no problem. If you want to talk, talk. But when I'm talking, we're going to listen. You know, and if you have time between intervals and between sets to talk, feel free to talk. Um, and again, especially COVID right now those kids that are super social and very extroverted are missing, I mean, missing tremendously on things that make them amazing and, and probably suffering more than a lot of people realize. So I think we do have to um, allow some of that in practice. Again, you can set healthy boundaries and give them control helping you set those boundaries. What, what, what's our limit of talking too much and when to stop talking? What do you think? And it'll be huge for buy-in if they have a little control, but they can still be social. I, I, I am blown away by these things that I need to consider more of. And, and you just mentioned it, right? So these 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds in our senior program for the last 10 years that they've been a part of our program, they've had the time that they got to practice early to talk and socialize. They've had the locker room. They've had post locker room and the walk back to their cars. Right now, they have out of the car, in their suit, into the pool, out of the pool, into their warm clothes, on the deck, no locker rooms, into mm -hmm. the cars. So we've, we've effectively taken away hundreds upon hundreds of hours of that typical social interaction. Yes. It's incredible. Yes. And, that, and that's why you can see those girls that like, not even during COVID, but the girls that hang out after practice and sit in the parking lot and talk for like 30 minutes to an hour, 
those are the girls that love stuff like that and need stuff like this. You know, like you said, they, they don't have, they may not have prom, they might not have homecoming, they might not, someone might not have graduation. Um, so what can we, what can we help balance that with? You know, and um, just really keeping them in mind, I think is the biggest thing. And, and I wrote down on my notes when I was doing this is, do you know why they swim? Do you know why the girls swim? For some girls, it is gonna be the social aspect. For some girls, it's not. Some girls like beating the boys. Um, some girls just like the feel of the water, which a lot of swimmers say, you know? And I think when you understand why do you swim, that can play a big, big role. Um, you know, even if it's a, um, they're super academic, this is my chance to like rest and not do homework. Okay, you know what? I'm not gonna hound you as much if this is your chance to just come and let out some stress. So being able to guide these girls, if you don't know why they swim and what they enjoy about swimming, I think you're hindering yourself from the very beginning. No doubt about it. And, and, and like I said, we hundreds of hours of, of that lost interaction time. And, and you're right, you know, I've seen it my whole career out in the parking lot, you know, they just love being around each other. Um, you know, speaking of love being around each other, when, when I go to nationals or Olympic trials or clinics, I see Allison Beebe and Kate Ludson and Crystal Keenan and Pam Swander and, you know, Rachel Stratton Mills. These women are, are, have all become titans in, in our sport as coaches in their own right. Are, are you really excited about the future of female coaches in swimming? Uh, I've been excited <laughs> because I get to have interactions with them that a lot of people don't. And it's, it's amazing. Like Allison was, is amazing about just networking. She, anywhere we would go, she'd be like, Dana, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so and just introduces me to everybody and instantly all these female coaches are like my biggest fans and my biggest supporters. And I, and I've only met them a couple times, you know, but it's so cool how much they love. Oh my gosh, Dana, I love what you're doing. I love what you're sharing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Jennifer Gibson just said that, you know? And um, so it's super cool. And then because of that, like I can email anybody about anything and they will respond. Like I, I ask questions constantly. <laughs> um, and any of them, they're like, yeah, here, here's the, here's my answer. Here's why I do it. Like I had some issues with some females. Well, there were some female swimmers that were having some issues with some male coaches. And I emailed a couple of female coaches. How would you deal with this? And they were all like, oh, I would do this. And I would try this and I would try this. And so again, I have been around them and I have been the recipient of their amazing, amazing abilities for so long that I'm not surprised at all that these women are starting to get recognized and other people are finally starting to realize, wow, there is some amazing stuff out here that I've been missing. This is so true that you said that. And, and it's so exciting to see, you know, the first coach that ever, the first big time coach that ever said I was doing a good job on the pool deck. I'll, I, I'll remember the rest of my life was Terry McKeever. We were at Stanford <laughs> and uh, she was like, Hey, I, I love your energy and enthusiasm. And I was like, <laughs> oh my god you know and uh another time i was flying home from colorado springs and and i, I got i had the pleasure to, to sit with jennifer gibson the whole flight and uh i just learned so much you know and it you're right it's so exciting to see and uh you know i'm really excited to to see the direction and and the the coaches that we have on our staff at victor 
our female coaches are just such a great resource. Um, and we would, you know, I, we would be lost, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm so thrilled to see that the profession is moving in that direction and, and there's more parity and there's more head coaches. And, you know, we just, we, we get better as, as an organization, I think, when we have those perspectives. Oh, yes, definitely. That's why I say, like, I, I absolutely love it when a male coach reaches out for a female perspective or a coach with no kids reaches out for my parent perspective. Um, I am more than willing to share, you know, because you want to get better. You want to make this kid better. I'm going to help you with everything I got. I don't know the answer. Okay, I'm going to give you an email of somebody that does. So, yeah, the more we can share and the more we can learn, the better. All right. So quick fire questions for you, Dana. Uh, Fair to say your favorite Olympian, Simone Manuel. Of course, if it's <laughs> mostly not because she is like amazing, right? Like swimming, but she is one of the most amazing people. Like I have never seen anybody like her again in terms of just like how she helps other people, her being a teammate, like her respect for all the coaches. It's just, she is an amazing person. So in the pool and out. It would have been so cool to see like a live stream when she won the hundred free of all of the first colony swim team coaches and people. Was it, was it just bedlam? It, it was, it was, and I was uh, pregnant at the time. I like, I think right after she won the medal or something, I had my baby and they had did a little parade down here and I was like, I couldn't go. And so, but I remember, and again, this will attest to why Simone is so amazing. Um, one of the coaches ran into her mom and said, came back and said, hey, Simone's mom wanted me to, to tell all the coaches thank you for what they did for Simone. I mean, it's just a, it's just a testament to why Simone is the way she is. Her mom and her dad were, are just amazing also. A lot of the Olympians are Olympians because they had great parents. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. And, and Simone's parents were amazing to let Allison do what she does best. Super supportive. What's the direction of our sport, Dana? I know it's a little bit of an esoteric question, but where do you see the direction of our sport going? Now we have the ISL. College swimming seems to be in this very strange state of affairs right now. Where do you see our sport in 10 years? Um, I think we're going to learn a lot. Like coming out of the pandemic, I think we're going to learn a lot. I, I've heard more and more coaches talking about we've been doing less, but the kids have been getting faster. Um, the ISL is super exciting. I haven't been, but everyone that I know that has gone has said it is like the coolest experience. So um, I think people just understanding more about swimming it is going to be huge from the outside perspective. Um, that, you know, everyone like in college and stuff like that, all the football players, everyone's perception of swimming is you just kind of float, you know. <laughs> and once people start seeing real like ISL and getting um, some of our meets on national television more and so people are going to see like okay this is not what I thought it was uh, and then again from the coaches side what we're going to learn coming out of the pandemic how to um, do more with less how to be more athlete centered think about the mental side way more than we ever were before so I'm actually pretty excited to see what comes in a couple of years all right last question you're taking off your coach hat right now. You're putting your parent hat on. What do you hope your kids get out of the sport of swimming? Good one. I guess, you know, I was doing like an interview the other day and 
somebody asked me how I work on being a better coach. And my answer was, I work on becoming a better human and learning to be kind, uh, learning to think of others, learning to be grateful, um, continuing, continuing education so that I myself, you know, have a little more knowledge, being healthy. And I think that plays into me where I am in my coaching, you know? So if nothing else, if my girls understand just how to make themselves a better person and swimming, sport in general, that's what I love about sport. You get all of that, right? Like you, you learn to treat others kindly. You learn to help others. You learn to push yourself. Um, you learn to be healthy because you have to learn how to eat. You have to learn how to sleep, recover, all that kind of stuff. So I guess my overall love or hope would be that they just learn to work and try to make themselves a better person. And it'll all, it'll all work out in the end. I love it. I love it. Coach Dana Skelton, thank you so much. This episode of the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner will be up on our website tonight, and we will make sure we promote on social media. Really appreciate your time, Dana. I'm so looking forward to the talk tomorrow uh, with Alexis and Andrea and Jamie. Uh, Jamie, you know, one of my heroes in coaching growing up here in the Northeast before she was down at Yoda. So uh, super excited to watch that. And Thanks so much. Good luck to you and your team and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing everybody soon in person. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks, Dana. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody.